Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is a show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am joined by a familiar face. His name is Matt Tudball. He and him. He's a senior editor for recycling at ICIS, a data and analytics company, providing information to the petrochemical and energy sector. And this is part of the wider LexisNexis Risk Solutions Group, or RSG for short. Matt joined in 2021 and was the founder of the proud RSG in 2017. And since then, it's grown and it's flourished and it's become a well-known name uh, within LGBTQ plus circles and beyond. Since the company moved to virtual working in 2020, the ERG has grown considerably with a number of people on the Steerco and up to 200 people attending proud events. Matt, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to see you here again. Um, you're well known, as we said to start with, uh, within the Dial team. Uh, we always enjoy listening to the latest trends and what you have been up to uh, when it comes to not only the day job, but also the impact that you're making on the LGBTQ plus front. Um, so let's kind of kick start and Talk about how you came to be where you are today, personally, professionally, and also some of the the great work that you're doing at the moment within the group. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I think it's going way back to the beginning. So I actually joined in, in 2012, uh, ICIS, and that was fresh out of university. So I did things a little bit backwards. I actually um, kind of left college or left school, went to college, did a GMBQ in 1998 got a first job in a call center in the Midlands where I'm originally from and um, kind of long story short got the opportunity to move to Hong Kong in 2006 and kind of went out there spent a year out there and that's also kind of where I first kind of came out publicly so to speak but kind of thought okay I need to do something with my life and I went back to university so I went as a mature student in 2007 at the age of 27 spent four years studying Mandarin in international relations um, can't remember a word of it now, but there we go. And um, basically graduated in 2011 and through a friend, uh, a girl that I'd met in Hong Kong who lived in the UK, got the job at ICIS. So moved into the petrochemical space without really knowing much about it, but got in there, found it really interesting and have been ever since. And then with in 2017, a lady called Joe Portlock, um, who was originally the HR lead for ICIS uh, at RSG, she approached me and said, oh, we're, we're, doing, we're launching some employee resource groups and we want to do one around LGBT+. Would you mind heading it up? And I was like, yeah, okay, why not? You know, <laughs> nothing else to do that day, so may as well just start Pride Group. But we, it was great because we then had a, a, an open day in our office down in Sutton. So we have like a courtyard space with a coffee shop and we had all the different tables, all the stalls, basically. So we had religion, we had disability, we had working parents, we had obviously the... At the time, it was uh, BAME, B-A-M-E, um, groups out there. And people were able to come around and chat and, and talk and ask. So that was pretty much me behind a table with a rainbow flag saying, you know, here we are, we've got LGBT plus representation. And really from there, then it kind of grew and people saw what we were doing. We had internal communications and a few people reached out to me. And that kind of created the beginnings of an informal steering committee. And it was kind of probably for the first few years just 
yeah, really quite informal and, and often, you know, I refer to it as like a bit of a hobby, something that we were doing on the day job. But we've then kind of, certainly since lockdown, it, it took a, a turn and it, it, we just see, saw a lot more engagement. And I think that was obviously because of the virtual working, which was really a really interesting point. And obviously with RSG, because we're part of Relix, which is 30,000 employees around the world, RSG is around about, I think, 8,000 people uh, globally. And because of that, we were starting to see people coming in from our Singapore office, for example. And during lockdown in particular, a lot of our US colleagues started to get in touch. And it, it just seemed to almost suddenly over the couple of months, we just went from quite a small localized, almost London centric group of employees to this global group of employees, all LGBT plus um, initially. And then we had allies join us as well. So it, it just really started to take off and we got a lot more engagement and a lot more kind of interaction between Steerco. And then ultimately, as we've, if we've kind of expanded it, we've had a lot more involvement from LGBT plus allies as well, which has been great to see. I mean, that is some journey, isn't it? And adore Jo Portlock. She uh, is absolutely fabulous and, and love the fact that she has come and approached you about what is almost like this little embryonic kind of group that's now no longer fledgling, but 200 plus people. And we've met some of them and they are incredibly, incredibly engaged. And it's you know, almost this evolution that you describe is the, um, you know, the informal fun piece to now something that ultimately, arguably, could be deemed as a real strategic tool and, and yeah. initiative within the wider organisation. Talk to me a little bit about some of the pivotal points for the crowd group. For others who are listening, um, we're so keen, as you know, on sharing peer-to-peer learning, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Um, and this is a huge success story, ultimately. So it'd be great to, to know some of the pieces that, that really made this difference to the growth of those groups. Yeah, definitely. As I say, I think certainly probably the pivotal moment was going virtual, virtual working, um, working from home. And I think at that point, um, you know, we, there was a lot of outreach from the company. I think what's also I, I definitely have to shout out for is people like Mark Kelsey, who's the CEO of RSG, um, Dean Curtis, who's the CEO of ICIS, my boss and a good friend of, uh, <laughs> of Dial. Um, and it was basically, I think at that point, a lot of the senior management and the senior leadership within the businesses recognize the importance of connecting with people, creating ERGs and creating support networks. So I think as, a, as employees as well, moving everything online, we were giving huge amounts of access um, to resources. The company was very keen to make sure that anyone working remotely was being supported, that they had tools at their disposal. We have an employee assistance program. So this is a, a basically a 24-hour um, seven days a week helpline that employees can reach out to around the world to you know pick up the phone and just say like, I'm not feeling okay I've got this you know so so there's a lot of focus of mental health as well so I think as I said the, with the virtual working we got people able to connect we started having online uh, events so teams obviously I think that was when we we're all getting used to teams in our case or zoom and others so people were kind of coming on these calls but I I also started listening to some other um kind of podcasts or I, I was going to external events and I think Joe Portlock again had a fantastic speaker lined up called Joanne Lockwood um, to talk about trans awareness and again I think during Joanne's kind of uh, discussion it was just that thing of being aware of other people and reaching out and being inclusive but also advocating for kind of people so we, we just started to see 
more attendance. And we had Joanne come in and do a, another talk and we just started to see the numbers rising. And one thing I think, again, Joanne mentioned is that virtual events, certainly for LGBT plus people who are perhaps not comfortable being themselves at work, they have a little bit of anonymity that they could attend an event and maybe, you know, their colleagues wouldn't necessarily know, they could kind of say effectively hide a little bit, which, you know, is, is still the case. And I think, you know, one of the reasons we started Pride, the Pride group back in 2017 is that it was very interesting to me at the age of how 37, I think then, I can't remember, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was very comfortable, I was very lucky. I'd, I'd kind of, you know, come to terms with my sexuality. I'd always been out since I joined the company, but even at the beginning of that, um, that event when we had in, in the coffee shop, there were still young employees coming in, maybe out of universities so in mid twenties, who were just not sure how they would be react, um, sorry, received in, in a business. So it kind of showed me, you know, we need to have people just to advocate, to be out, be open and just say, look, it's okay. If you want to be out, you can, if not, that's fine, but you've got a support network here. So we start to see a lot more people joining the online events uh, during lockdown. And then I think another key pivotal moment was the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. And again, the reaction from our um, African Ancestry Network in the US, AAN, and also again from our CEOs, from our leaders in that, you know, we had very clear statements against racism, that the company was an inclusive company. And we started to then have these courageous conversation sessions, which we have an external speaker come in and basically it'd be an hour on a Zoom call or a Teams call, which would just simply be either the, the, the external person leading a conversation, um, sharing experiences, you know, their lived experiences, and having employees coming in just to, just to talk. And I think what, what for me is when I joined one of those sessions, listening to, you know, colleagues, basically people I'd never met, people I'd, I'd never engaged with on the other side of the world, talking about what it was like to be black in the US following the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, um, the death of George Floyd. And it was just like, you know, I just need to sit here and listen and learn. And, and that was great that we had the opportunity just to, to listen. You know, I didn't need to talk. I didn't need to talk about my experiences. It was just listening to these people talking about their experiences. And that really helped me learn a bit more. And it also kind of something kind of twigged and think we can do the same for LGBT plus people. It, we have been doing already, but we, we need to do more of it. And we just need to kind of represent and, and keep talking and keep that conversation going. And through that, we then started doing other things such as an allyship program. So this was basically encouraging non-LGBT plus people to come along and listen to courageous conversations that we started to help um, around LGBT plus issues. And we provided online resources through our Percepio channel, which is like our learning platform. And it was very simple. We, we basically just asked people to come along, attend one courageous conversation event, uh, attend one educational event, which would again be more probably an external speaker, but more of you know a kind of a slide forward or you know presentation. So here's you know, things about acronyms, pronouns, which I'll, I'll come on to in a bit. But we asked people to attend a couple of these sessions and then go onto this channel and maybe watch a YouTube video or read an article or listen to a podcast, and then you know we say great, you know you've done your allyship program, and we we then saw you know great uptake from that, but what was interesting and we'll probably talk about the challenges we still have is that we had a great reception for whatever reason from a lot of our us colleagues they really seem to get on board with it and uk as well but we still find that there are certain areas that we don't necessarily 
engage as much with. And I don't know if that can be a cultural thing, such as, you know, in Asia, offices in Singapore um, and mainland China. But then we also get great engagement from offices in Manila. So it's kind of a, an interesting mix. But I think, yeah, the, the virtual working and then certainly the BLM movement were probably the two key areas, I think, that then helped push us forward. And as we're coming into or coming up to 2022, as a, as a steering, steer co for Proud, we're sitting down now thinking, right, what do we want to do next year? And one conversation I had, I think it was the end of last year, because it all blurs into one now. Um, but I was having a chat with Dean and I'm like, I just don't seem to be getting as many people coming. What, 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 would, what can I do? What would you advise? And he said, you know, create the fear of missing out, FOMO. So again, this uh, kind of thought, yeah, we, we need to show that we're actually a good resource and a value for the business. And that's kind of that idea of, we then created SharePoint pages. We have a great internal um, support from a lady called Shalena Ramos who builds an internal SharePoint. And we have a proud page or proud site now. So we populated that with as much content as we can. And again, we're trying to drive people to that whenever we did an event that we were able to record. So we, we didn't record the Courageous Conversation sessions because we wanted it to be free and open and not have people you know, worry that if I say this, it's going to be recorded. Um, but the events we did have, so when, for example, when Joanne Lockwood came to present, we recorded that, we posted it on the page. And again, the hope is that we can direct people to that. They look at it and go, oh, that, that was great. I wish I'd been in person. And that we can then, you know, they would come to the next session. So creating FOMO was something we're trying to do. But also, I think for us now, it's kind of almost a return on investment. So how can we help the business? And I think certainly the latter half of this year, and, and next year, that's one of our key focuses to show that not only are we a great support network for LGBT plus people and allies who, you know, friends and family who are LGBT plus, but also to, to help the business grow. And that comes into like the talent and acquisition areas, the kind of relationship areas with other businesses, obviously Dial Global being a great kind of meeting point where we as a business can come in we can show off what we've been doing but we can talk to other businesses and learn from them as well so that's uh you know going into next year one of our key goals is just yeah showing our value and and becoming a bit more of a, a tool to the business as well as a support group as well wow i mean i've got to take my virtual hat off to you matt and the wider team you know, you've really done a super, super job. And it's 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 fascinating here. You touch on so many different points because it reminds me that this is an evolution. This is something that is never going to go away. And ultimately, keeping that movement going, keeping that constant heartbeat, comms, content, communication... I know from first-hand experience how challenging that can be because the world moves so incredibly quickly, in particular yeah. online. And I know we're going to loop back to language, but you look at kind of what LGBT was, becomes LGBTQ+, LGBTQ+, IA, and so on and so forth. You know, the FOMO piece, I love that expression. Um, not only do I believe truly that does work, but also it's... I mean, it's almost going to become a norm, isn't it? Because if there isn't a keeping up with what's happening and trends in the world, which does move so incredibly quickly, you can be behind very, very fast. And 
you know, content does move on very, very rapidly. Conversations move on. Um, but it's super that you've got such great allies and individuals within the organization and ultimately the executive sponsorship, which you've touched on, be it through Dean, um, Joe, uh, Mark as well, who are really backing this. And, you know, again, it's something that we hear frequently makes that huge difference because it inspires the confidence, gives the resources ultimately, which is clearly a big part of um you know the success to this is the fact that you've had the resources you've had the backing you know there's also the energy and the you know the fact that you know there are real 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 role models should i say we often call role models real models at mm -hmm. dial but you are a real model for others and whilst you didn't come out at um the present company coming straight in and others be them grads be be them kind of young aspiring leaders know i can go to matt because he's open about this i can go to others and you know, the impact that that can have in terms of changing others' lives and yeah. feeling more comfortable is profound. I am not LGBTQ plus myself, but the thought of deciding, do I, don't I come out each time? And is this going to impact me in even a customer meeting? You are what's called covering for a significant portion of the time. And so you know the the energy yeah. that we take up i'm sure is is pretty significant and i would know similarities from you know perhaps a, a cultural point of view with other hidden you know say say mental health and things like that other hidden uh diversities but i you know i i truly believe we we, we need to keep up this momentum on on those diversities that aren't necessarily on the surface level it's 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 almost it's a you know super positive but it's also a double-edged sword for those individuals who have things that they can easily cover yeah and i think i mean as you mentioned about the language and there's a couple of issues there as well so i think again kind of with the black lives matter movement last year we then had colleagues so as I mentioned the um, aan network in, in in the us but here in the uk we had the BAME network, which was, uh, again, my colleague Charlene Oakey, who's taken over from Joe whilst Joe's on maternity leave, did a great job. But um, Charlene and Natalie did a few events. And in fact, it was on a dial pod, uh, dial video that Charlene was talking. And the language issue came up because, so BAME now have renamed themselves to EDGE, which is the ethnically diverse group of employees. And the reason for that was when I listened to Charlene talk, and there was a gentleman from the FA whose name escapes me, I'm afraid, but they were saying in the US, they use people of color as a, as a term to talk about black and um, people of color, uh, sorry, black and people of color. And Charlene said on that, actually, I find that more offensive. I'd rather, you know, people use the term black to talk about me than person of color. And again, I'm like, okay, that, that makes perfect sense. But I realized I'd use POC in an article I'd written. And I said to her, I'm really sorry, I didn't realize. Um, but it's, it's these kind of conversations around language that, you know, you listen and you learn and then you try and act on it. And this is what we've done with, with LGBTQ plus as well. So we're trying to have people come in and talk about the use of language, because as you say, things never stay still. And, you know, yeah, okay, I'm a gay employee, so I'm in a minority, but at the same time, I'm a white man living in London. So I have, you know, much more privilege than other people do. And this is something we've tried to do with, with the LGBT group is, you know, we, we do have quite a diverse steering committee, 
And I have to give shout outs to my colleagues, so Melanie Wee in Singapore. We have Rich and Rashid based in the US. And Rashid is, again, he's a Muslim guy from Singapore who moved to the US, to Florida, married his husband. But again, he, he has a different you know, experience growing up as LGBT plus compared to me. And we are trying to, again, kind of just put people out there that can say, you know, this is how, this is who we are, where we're, we can come to, come to us, talk to us. And the use of the language, and particularly, I think, around trans, because we're in, obviously, you know, Trans Awareness Week at the moment, it's, we, we have to be careful with LGBT+, because whilst I'm happy and comfortable being out, there are people who aren't. I mean, and again, Rich, uh, my colleague, he's in his 50s. I won't, <laughs> he'll kill me. But, I mean, you know, he's in his 50s, and he was approached by Joe as, as, as Joe approached me last year, and she said, look, would you mind maybe, would you be comfortable leading our group in Atlanta? And he wasn't out in the office and he, he'd been married, he'd had children, he'd divorced and now married to his husband. And he took that opportunity to say, okay, I'm going out of my comfort zone here, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to try and lead the group. And I think, again, Rich and Rashid particularly, and then other colleagues like Joe, Tessa and Will in the US, they really helped to grow and they, we've got such support from them. And again, it's just almost enabling people to know that if you do want to make that decision, if you want to come out as gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, or anybody else on the spectrum of LGBTQ+, like non-binary, et cetera, then you, know, you can do. And I think what we also try to do is have these, these sessions to help educate people. Because even, again, you know, we, we had a great conversation around the language, how to welcome or how to use inclusive language in the office. And it can be as simple as putting a pronoun on an email. So this is something that we do now. We have pronouns on our emails. I know some companies, there's a lot of red tape to jump through. Um, <laughs> I had a great colleague, Helen Keniston, who's since moved on from the business, but we're still in touch. Helen basically was like, I'm just doing it anyway. And she put it on her email. No one challenged her. And it was great. You know, So we, we put our pronouns on, on LinkedIn as well. But even, again, some of the sessions we have, it can be a simple step of when you meet somebody for the first time, introduce yourself and say, hi, my name's Matt Tudball. My pronouns are he, him. Or if you're in a meeting, in a meeting room, just going around, say, stand up, introduce yourself, use your pronouns. And, and again, one thing I took back from when Joanne Lockwood gave her presentation was to say, if you're not sure, just use they. So using that neutral language. And this is what we're trying to do with our colleagues is put on these events, invite them to come along, listen and take if it's one or two things away from them, such as use they or I, I will hold my hands up and say here, my guilty area or my my thing i use hey guys just naturally comes out of my mouth on emails hey guys like, okay no hey all so that's what i try and do now i try and just think take a second think about it can i be a more, bit more inclusive and that's something we're trying to do but i i completely agree it's it's kind of you know the example of going from bane to edge um using pronouns and even just understanding considered dead language um within the lgbtq language like for example transvestite I knew Eddie Izzard, well not new, but I watched Eddie Izzard growing up as a kid, who often re referred to himself as an executive transvestite. But having um, a session from Educate and Celebrate, that word is now probably no longer considered to be appropriate. So it's just trans person or transgender. So this is, again, we're trying to bring these tools, these conversations in front of our colleagues just to, to help them realise and understand how they can be a bit more inclusive. And again, as well as being diverse and inclusive, we want people to advocate 
and again advocate for somebody when they're not in the room and and i picked this up from my black colleagues on, on blm in the uk is if you hear somebody say something in the room and if it was an all white or an all male room and you're not comfortable with it say something just say i'm not comfortable with it and just feel encouraged that you can say that and that you've got the support from your company that you know worst case scenario something escalates off the back of it your company would say well you know you did the right thing because we endorse that we don't allow for any racism or homophobia in the office so you did something and we will support you it's fascinating so you've touched on so many different points here and there is well la more latterly having a no tolerance rule to anything that would be discriminatory or, or derogatory in any way shape or form an absolute no full stop to that whilst also at the same time utilizing courageous conversations and these safe spaces so that people are able to learn without fear of being vilified because on the flip side i hear many worrying about what they can and can't say and you know sometimes having a slip um i was yeah. nodding profusely as you were saying the hey guys piece because a number of our our team even and we've said this and others have said oh hey you know it shouldn't be hey guys hey peeps whatever it may be um aren't necessarily meant with a you know proactively negative slant they're simply it's it's a re-education and it is a a relearning so as to understand the preferences of others but another thing that i was thinking as we were talking uh, about the different areas of say lgbtq plus and, and being on which and whatever area of the spectrum is that we can't presume that all people ultimately within a certain facet of diversity are the same there are diversities within diversities within diversities and um you know personally relate to the the bane piece as mentioned by um the the the, the, the super uh, charlene okey as well is you know pure cultural differences obviously you, you've yeah. lived across over in uh, in asia as is my husband who i know would have a huge amount in common uh, with you as well as a white male um but speaks fluent mandarin is the term over in the states oriental highly highly offensive i have never actually known that to be offensive i wouldn't personally find that offensive but i know many people that would who would also be of the same cultural background um as not the same race yet very very different um bame i'm pleased to hear that we are moving away from that and i think it's you know great proactivity that you change that to edge which is actually that's really that sounds pretty cool and quirky yeah. and obviously you know it's got a great great meaning uh, behind that as well but again it's it's this how we are now moving away and evolving from what was not necessarily intentionally negative but black asian minority ethnic for which that yeah, sounds yeah. such such different backgrounds and life experiences it just seems now almost crazy to look at that and say hey all should be together you know it's uh, you know i feel quite proud to be called chinese or east asian you know it, it's just yeah i mean it's so fascinating absolutely fascinating and you know very interesting that that charlene prefers and um, black i too have used the people of color you know kind of phrase previously but would always call races for races so black as black you know 
Chinese is East Asian, um, you know, which and whatever. But ultimately, you're you're absolutely right. People will have their own individual preferences. So best to be yeah. neutral and then actually ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think one thing that we come across in, in here in the UK as well and is the use of the word queer. And, you know, as I mentioned, I, I started work at the age of 18 in a call centre in the Midlands. And, um, you know, that to me is a derogatory term and that it was something that I heard it, it and it was used in an offensive way. But what I find very interesting is now, you know, I'm 41 or 42 in a few months time. And I, through colleagues here, again, younger colleagues in their 20s, perhaps, or people coming out of university, they embrace that word queer. They've taken it back. And I have had conversations with my colleague, um, Alison Jones, who's leading the DNI group within ICIS. And again, you know, she came to us from Bloomberg about a year or so ago and, and really was keen to work on the DNI element. And, you know, she and I have said, you know, she's not comfortable using that word. I still am getting used to that word because it is a case of, well, actually, it, mean, it can mean so much. And it can be almost like a catch-all for LGBTQ plus people. But it's still one of these things that sometimes it, if I hear it, 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 you know, it's almost like an inbuilt reaction to go, you know, and, and it's the same with the phrase, again, growing up in the 90s in the UK, is like, oh, that's so gay. Everything's so gay. It doesn't work. It's gay. And it, and it still, you know, sometimes it, it's hard to, to say that word openly and feel comfortable with it. But at the same time, it's like you said, a, a learning or relearning or an education to say, you can say it, just make sure you're using it in the right context. And I think, again, what I've picked up from, from the BLM conversations, conversations around trans awareness and, and gender inclusivities. If you make a mistake, acknowledge it and just try not to do it again. And it will take time. And these are habits that are ingrained in us because we've always just accepted it's okay to use phrases, but you've also got to consider, you know, am, if I'm using this phrase, am I unintentionally alienating or discriminating against somebody? And just trying to be a bit more mindful, I think. And I know it, it is hard for people and, and I've had this conversations, you know, when you see it on TV, they're like, oh, there's just too much on TV these days. But actually, we're going against the heteronormative here. You know, we as, as minority groups, and that can be from gender, sexual um, sexual orientation, and race, you know, have been underrepresented, underrepresented on TV. And, and now we're kind of trying to do that to, to, again, let people like us, and I say that to everyone who's like basically, I suppose, a non-white straight man, um, be seen. And that's the thing. So there's a lot there. Um, but I think as well, I think one other area I wanted to just touch on briefly is around kind of the talent and acquisition as well. And I know I'm making a bit of a jump here, but it, it's this whole idea is that looking outside of your normal um, kind of resources, so to speak, this is something we're really keen to work on um, globally next year well, from this point onwards is using us as a proud network to just to add an extra pool of resource to the hiring process within the business. And, you know, I know RSG, RedX, we probably, they have um, you know, goals, they want to be more diverse hirers, but what we think we can do is uh, kind of build some networks. So here in the UK, networks with universities, colleges and schools that have LGBT groups within. And same in the US, my colleague Rich is working with Natasha Brown, who's our talent and acquisition and early careers lady over there to reach out to some of the colleges there and I think you know we we can be that that group of people or employees that we can go out to a university to a student union group or you know LGBT um, plus group in, in university and say well this is who we are 
and this is relics and we often say relics we're one of the biggest companies you've never heard of <laughs> no one's ever heard of us but we can talk about rsg or we can talk about icis or Sirium, which is previously was known as flight global in the aviation industry we have uh, estates gazette expert hr we have all these different kind of strings to our corporate bow but we can go out there and say look this is what we do. We, we have, you know, I'm a price reporter. I spend my day talking about the price of recycled plastic bottles around Europe. Not what I thought I'd be doing when I was 20, 20 years younger, but we have such a variety of roles. We have tech roles within our business. We have marketing, we have events, all this kind of thing. But it's just engaging with these um, groups within universities and saying, this is who we are, but also we do have jobs for you. And we have um, positions that you can be filled. And just because you're LGBT doesn't mean you wouldn't be accepted in our business. And it's, and it's just these little kind of signals to say, yeah, you might be as a younger person thinking, well, how would I be perceived? How would I, would I be accepted? And we're here to say, yes, you are. And then at the same time, we can go to our hiring teams. We can go to our HR teams. Um, Lisa Cook here in the UK, who does the early careers and say, we've got a network with this university or this group of universities. Just next time you've got a role, let us know and we can flag it with them. Uh, and, and other organizations like, uh, like Prince's Trust, we've had conversations with them. Um, My G Work, for example, as well. It's just kind of us taking that step out and putting ourselves out there to say, we will inhibit, we, we're an inclusive company. We want to hire as many diverse people as possible, but you know, as long as they are right for the role, but we are just expanding our company's access to these different groups of people. And I think with the Prince's Trust conversation we had, was not only was it LGBTQ plus specific, but also just younger people from underrepresented backgrounds and also in maybe more rural areas. So again, thinking outside of that London bubble, which is very easy to get caught in, but just say to people like, here's the opportunity. You can come along, you can have an interview with these people and you might not get the job, but at least you've had that experience and here's your feedback on, on where you can improve or you know what we liked, what we, what, where we can see room for improvement. So I think, Talent and acquisition and then retention, obviously, is, is a key area for the business. I think for all businesses, and I think it's only us as proud ERG can have with from the LGBTQ plus point of view. And again, edge, mental health, disability is all these different ERGs that the company has. I think now over 30 of the ERGs for RSG that can become a resource and, and can become another string to the bow again of kind of hiring and retaining real good talent that helps the company grow. Matt, I'm so excited by this conversation. I honestly cannot tell you. You know my background, talent acquisition. There are so many wonderful nuggets of wisdom in this. And ultimately, this is all about utilising employee resource groups as strategic resources to the business and allowing talent to truly be able to thrive. In fact, I think I think that we should be doing another podcast or definitely even a lounge on this because there is so much in there um you know in particular when you look at our younger generations this is one of the top things that they look at for organizations that they go to work for do they care about values esg following into kind of some of the other work that you do around kind of you know recycling environmental social governance for anyone who's thinking about what esg is the s is becoming amplified beyond where it ever ever has been and so this is a critical success and strategic factor for organizations to be looking at um but to not include talent 
within the realms of those grassroots um, stages of, of kind of, you know, first, second roles that comes from these types of backgrounds to engage them and to secure them based upon values and things that exist within the organisation, like groups, you know, that include uh, include the LGBTQ plus group that you have and, and those in the other areas. I mean, it just seems absolute it seems absolute madness. I mean, that as a strategic resource is just a perfect kind of encapsulation of how they can be used for for talent acquisition. Yeah. 110%. Yeah. Now, being conscious of time, because I did want to catch you for a couple of things after that. Um, and as ever, when I speak with you, we're kind of, we're, we're off on tangents and we could... Um, we could talk forever in a day, but watch this space all for further discussions around utilising ERGs as strategic resources and ultimately talent acquisition. I'm going to do my best to summarise some of the, the real learning points, Matt, but the things that stood out for me, obviously the latter around talent acquisition, but also that we can't presume that all people within a certain area of diversity are the same. There are diversities within diversities within diversities. We must stay ahead of the curve, as Matt has said, be cognizant of the language, think about the fact that this is conscious inclusion as opposed to um, you know, more so perhaps where we're discussing unconscious bias and things like that, actually being consciously inclusive of how we can make others feel welcome, how we can make others perhaps feel more comfortable to be able to be their true authentic selves. And if that means uh, a safe space to allow others to perhaps share their stories or even come out, um, that is something that we absolutely want to want to champion. But we have heard how much this uh, this group has become, uh, in such a short period of time, a, a really dynamic and large global group. And so I hope this has inspired many others, many other leaders of ERGs, future leaders of ERGs, current ERGs, to be able to really um, put some uh, rocket power behind theirs and get others involved. So executive sponsorship, Matt's mentioned a number of really wonderful leaders on this podcast, making sure you align yourself with fantastic allies and other real and role models who are willing uh, to really champion and drive this forward. But ultimately, um, make sure this is backed within your company. Make sure you're sharing uh, experience, knowledge, what's worked, what hasn't. Um, networks are critical and um, engaging with these groups or not to engage with these groups is a huge missed strategic priority. So I'm sure this podcast has, has convinced you of that if you weren't already. Matt, thank you ever so much indeed. You've been fabulous. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great to talk to you, Leila, and I hope that that somebody takes something from this and uh, takes it away and puts it to good use within their, their organisation. So thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much, Matt. My name is Leila mckenzie Dallas, and I'm the founder uh, of uh, Dahl Global. You've been joined by the super duper Matt Cardball on today's show. We will make sure that we put Matt's contact the details uh, and links to his profile. You can also catch him in the Dahl Global app, which is Dahl Global Network in the App Store, uh, where you can chat away um, about all things LGBTQ plus and or even uh, recycle bottles and ESG initiatives as well. Uh, he's a man of many, uh, many, many skills. We'll also make sure that we put an annotated version of the podcast and, and key learning points into the show notes at the end of today's shows. You can catch up uh, with the podcast weekly on Spotify or Apple, your favorite podcast apps, or visit us directly at 
darglobal.org forward slash podcast. And we will look forward to seeing you again very soon.